Welcome, representatives from Social Advocates for Youth to the stage of the Phoenix Theater. Social Advocates for Youth is a Sonoma County nonprofit organization that provides support, opportunities, and hope to children, youth, and families. They are dedicated to creating and supporting a caring community where all children, youth, and families grow, thrive, and succeed. Tonight, we'll learn about this organization, its history, why the people at this table have dedicated themselves to it, and much more. Please welcome to the program Katrina, Lisa, Shelby. Thanks for joining us. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's our pleasure. I think a good place to start tonight is with what this organization does in action. So let's just go into what the services that Social Advocates for Youth offers. Yeah, so I'll take that one. Um, You know, we'll go back in time almost 50 years and a group of leaders in Sonoma County said, you know what, young people that are out there who don't have a caring adult in their life at the moment that they need it deserve one. And they came together and they pooled some resources and started Social Advocates for Youth to advocate for the needs of the most vulnerable kids in our community. And essentially over the last 45 plus years, what we've done is grown and changed uh, to meet the current and most pressing needs of young people from five-year-olds to 25-year-olds, from the six-year-old that may be going to bed at night without enough food, the 12-year-old that's being abused at home, the 14-year-old that comes out as gay and then their parents start abusing or neglecting them or kicking them out, the 21-year-old who doesn't have someone to help them write a resume, you know, whether it's the most traumatic, most dire need to something that sounds simple, but it really, it, in each case, it requires that someone cares about those kids. And that's what we do for about 8,000 young people a year now here in Sonoma County. And you are uh, Katrina Thurman, CEO of the organization. It is my honor to serve in that role. And how long have you been with this group? I've been with uh, SAY for over five years now. And um, really, it is, it's an honor to be of service to young people because they are so strong. They are so smart and so resilient. But they need us. You know, ultimately in life, none of us got here without being able to point to a person or a dozen people or a hundred people who helped make us who we are and helped us in the moment that we needed it the most, whatever that moment was. None of us get through life alone, right? Like you don't. And to be of service, to help support a staff of 120 people whose job every day is just to be there when the kids need them in the littlest ways and in the most horrific ways that young people can need a caring person. That's our job. And and why a group like this is necessary, I think was put best to me by Tom earlier. We were talking in the lead up to this thing because the Phoenix is a nonprofit as well. And there are a lot of people that come through that need the building uh, for support in some of the circumstances that you mentioned. Absolutely. But you made a point about society and, you know, words versus action. It was, you know, you're you're working with the young people and everybody, uh, boy, I cannot believe how many people tell me, oh my gosh, the young people, we love them all so much. Strangely enough, when the chips are down, though, Mm -hmm. uh, there aren't that many people willing to step up for the young people. In fact, sometimes they'd rather not be seeing them. Yeah. They'd rather kind of have them in the corners and love them in the corners, but not not out in public. I think one of the things that young people face that's the most troubling and that I feel is our greatest responsibility is that when young people are their most vulnerable, they're also often the most invisible. Mm -hmm. And that invisibility means if we're not shining the spotlight on them, if we're not making sure that... um, whether it's food, a safe place to sleep at night, um, you know, adults that are wrapping their arms around them, helping to guide and support them, um, accessing, you know, housing, access to, you know, being able to just get a job, knowing that you're warm and safe at night when you fall asleep. Without that, you know, uh, those young people will remain invisible. And ultimately, it benefits no one in a community if we don't figure out a way to put the spotlight where it needs to be and get the resources to them. Let's talk about the housing services that SAY has. Um, This was news to me. I was not aware of the numbers that you guys do. Um, Tell us about that and and the numbers that you serve. So SAY does three things. We provide mental health counseling, career services, and housing. And What comes with housing ultimately is caring adults and food and a whole bunch of case management and support. And we house kids in a number of different ways. So we have a uh, shelter 
for runaway and homeless youth for 12 to 17-year-olds um, that's designed to be a short-term crisis intervention for those young people. And then for 18 to 24-year-olds, we have um, short-term emergency housing for them and then longer-term supported housing for them. And ultimately, on every night um, here in Sonoma County, we're housing about 100 kids between 12 and 24 years old and you know, being that caring adult, wrapping our arms around them, you know, helping them if they fall down, helping them get back up again. I also think it's important to to call out just quickly that currently during the last uh, point in time count that our county conducted in February, there are at least 515 young people experiencing homelessness in our community right now. And we operate the only two emergency shelters dedicated to young people between San Francisco and the Oregon border. How many people can you guys house in one night? In our shelters, Mm -hmm. specifically, um, we are a little under 20. So if you think about that, for emergency housing, we have about 20 beds for more than 500 young people. So when you just compare that very simple um, demand and supply equation, you you can see very plainly that the need is much, the demand is much greater than what we have capacity to serve. You know, when it comes at the weirdest times, um, if, if there was a teen in need, at 11 p.m. on a Thursday night, would SAY be able to do something with that? We would. Lisa, what would we do for that young person? <laughs> Lisa Fatu? <laughs> Hi. <laughs> um, well, if you guys contacted SAY's crisis line, yeah. we conduct a 24-7 crisis line at our coffeehouse teen shelter, and we would try to get transportation through our partnerships with local law enforcement. We work with all of the city's uh, police departments and ask if they can transport and have them come into a, one of our emergency shelters that, at 11 o'clock at night. Beautiful. They show up at our doorsteps at 3 o'clock in the morning, and we try to provide services for them at three o'clock in the morning if that's what they need and they don't want to be outside anymore. And again, that crisis line that Lisa just mentioned, the only dedicated 24-7 crisis line for young people in Sonoma County. You say uh, three kind of like tentpole aspects of housing services, counseling services, and uh, employment educational services is the other. Tell us about that. So one of the things that we recognize as an organization is it's not enough just to put a roof over a head. It's not enough to only provide counseling. It's not enough to just get a kid a, a job. If a young person has a job but doesn't have housing, it doesn't work. If a young person has even a job and housing, but they've had trauma in their past and they've, you have, they have an anxiety issue, they have an anger management issue, and they're not getting counseling, then they're not going to be able to keep their job and then they're not going to be able to keep their housing. And so we really believe that these three pillars of work that we do, the housing, counseling, and employment services, that wrapped around a young person will enable them to choose the path they want to be on in their life ultimately, whether it's the one they've been on or not, and to start taking the steps to get there and to really succeed. Uh, So our career services help a couple hundred young people every year. We have a career hub that is open to any young person who wants help. And that literally could be a drop in for just a moment where the young person comes in and says, hey, can I just use a phone? Um, I just need to make a couple phone calls to help get a job. Or would you help me fill out this online application? We have a staff person there who says, sure, I'll help you with that. Um, a lot of young people don't have someone in their life that knows how to write a good resume. Yeah. You know, most of us are scared of writing our own resumes. I mean, how many people would say that's their favorite thing to do? The, you know, and these young people come in and they've never done it. And it's terrifying to sit down and start with this blank sheet of paper. Our staff will be there for them and help them with that. But a lot of times that young person shows up, they say, you know what, I need help with the resume. I need to, I need to apply for some jobs. And the staff person says, okay, I'll help with that. And then as the, you know, the young person's sitting there and we start talking, they say, well, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm actually a little hungry. Could you help with that too? Like, do you, I, see, I see some granola bars over there. Could I have one of those? Sure, let's talk about that. Do you have access to food right now? Like, how are you doing on that? Well, no, my mom kicked me out. I've actually been sleeping in my friend's car. Okay, so let's have a conversation about whether you're housed and whether you have the clothes you need to apply for work. And, and so it really provides a great entry point to make sure that as a young person, whether they're, you know, 16, 17, 18, or 23, whatever they need, we're going to try to bridge the gap and get them the resources. The resume thing is a a great example of things that you wouldn't even think of if you haven't had to go through this circumstance. Yeah, I think a lot of us just take for granted, um, 
kind of the, the lottery or the blessing of birth. Like, you know, if we showed up in a family, if we landed in a family that had a dining room table to sit at, some people don't even have the table in the first place, and that around that table, we were being supported. You know, if we wanted to quit our job, like we have our first job, we're a 16 or 17 year old, we come home, we're like, oh, I really, you know, I hate my boss and I hate the schedule and I don't want the shift he gave me. Yeah, okay darling, I hear you. And here's how to navigate through that. Like, here's why to keep the shift you were signed up for. And here's how to have a conversation with your boss in an appropriate way so that maybe next time you don't get that shift. But that's a that's like luck of the draw that you ended up with a family that could help you with that. Yeah. And, um, and ultimately, I think we all benefit tremendously when whether it was the birth family that had that available to the young person or whether it's a community support like social advocates for youth that made that available that young person is going to be able to launch into a more successful future and um, I think it's incumbent on us to make sure that young people have that available to them absolutely I would just add on to that as well that I think no matter who you are, um, and a child, a young person, an adult, no matter what, when you are going through or experiencing crisis, whether it be a housing crisis, a mental health crisis, an employment crisis, or potentially all three at once, mm. it can feel very overwhelming to have to piecemeal together resources to help yourself, right? So you know that if you have to call five different numbers to get a million different referrals and you have to get across town to get to this one place, but then you have to go across town to get to another place that can be very overwhelming and a huge barrier to accessing services. And so I think one of the most amazing things that SAY offers young people is a very, very well-rounded place to land and a really well-rounded place to have these conversations in, find resources, and you know that you're going to talk to a caring adult that cares for you, does not judge you, and their only mission is to help you. And I bet something that you see, I know, Tom, you've seen it down at the Phoenix, is sometimes it just takes one or two moves in the wrong direction or one or two circumstances that you know, just unfortunate circumstances to land a young person in a, on a bad path. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, the work is valuable because it, yeah. it's not like all of these people come from the same background. Some people come from very no. disadvantaged backgrounds, but other people not. I think another important thing just to call out is that crisis and trauma know no socioeconomic boundaries. Mm -hmm. We sat down with Santa Rosa Mayor Chris Corsi last year, and he shared a story with us that when his teenage son, when his son was a teenager, and he was really struggling, having a really hard time being at home, having a really hard time having healthy communication with his dad, and he was out on the streets, and he came to our teen shelter, and he utilized our crisis line, and the family got some crisis counseling. And I think the fact that Chris was willing to sit down with us and share that very private, personal story with us really just highlights that need and support cross all boundaries in our society and in our community. And you can never tell by looking at a family what they're going through and what type of supports they need. And so SAY is here for the entirety of Sonoma County, not just those that people assume need the help. You uh, made reference to the Dream Center, the Finley Dream Center. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about that. That was opened in 2016, mm -hmm. and that's a, a very proud moment for this organization. Absolutely, and really it's a proud moment for the community because the community built the Dream Center. This community said um, it's not okay that there are 500, 700, at that time over 1,100 young people sleeping outside on Sonoma County streets every single night. And leaders in this community came together declaring that it wasn't okay. And they got pretty bold. You know, they went to Sutter and said, hey, that old Warwick Hospital is sitting over there in Bennett Valley. Would you like to give it to SAY so that we can open it up and put, you know, put, put in housing for young people? And Sutter said, let's talk about it. You know, and a few years later, the community, literally not, not a government dime, all individual and foundation gifts from Sonoma County had come together for $9.8 million to completely rehabilitate the facility, turn it into 63 beds of housing, a counseling center, a career center, all of our administrative offices are there. And 
for it to serve as a hub, as a place for the young people to come to feel safe, to be supported, in addition to the other housing resources that SAY already had. And ultimately, from that location, we've now been open about two and a half years, and we've served thousands more young people than we could have ever imagined. And we've learned so much about their needs. We've learned so much about how the fires have impacted their lives. We've learned so much about the depth of their trauma. The more young people you have living under your roof every night, the more you learn about trauma. So we, before we built the Dream Center, we had 25 kids and then, you know, and a teen shelter. We now have a hundred plus kids. Each of those young people, every human shows up with their story. And each of those stories is different. Each of those stories comes out over the course of time in different ways. So, you know, Lisa has the young person who shows up and maybe they're ready to talk the first night or the third night. But some of them, it's the third week or the third month when you recognize exactly what's happened in their life. They could have come from the richest or the poorest family, from the kindest parents or the most absent or non-existent parents, and they still could have landed at your door absolutely needing um, support to get to whatever the next thing is for them. And the courage, really. I saw young people on on the way over here tonight and uh, the courage that it takes to be there and to say, I need help. You know, a lot of us do not have the courage that it takes to actually admit when we need that kind of help. Um, and, they're, and they're there and they show up and they show up every day and they keep asking for what they need. And it just makes me very proud of them. And I think it's, it's really just an honor um, to sit with them and to be patient with them as their story emerges and we learn what they really need, who they really are, and what we can do to try to help them. This is more of a conversational question, and we can cut it if it doesn't bear any fruit, but you all, all four of you sitting at the table, including Tom, have worked with youth um, in your different roles, in your different organizations. What do you find is effective? What do you find is a good way to break through? Because a lot of the time there are, there are layers of protection. There are walls, you know, sometimes necessary to, to deal with the traumas they've dealt with. And I'm just curious if, if um, little strategies have developed in your mind mm-hmm. in terms of how to be effective, how to be there for people who need the help. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to say one word and then I'll let Lisa roll with it. I think it's consistency. <laughs> she, she took my word. Um, honestly, that's what it goes down to is that there's been so many things in their life that have been just a roller coaster ride. And so when you break the barrier, you put your own walls down, you go where they're at and you meet them where they're at. You give them that safety feeling of I'll meet you on the street. I'll meet you under the bridge. I'll meet you wherever you want to meet. You don't have to go look us up and we'll come over to us. If you don't feel safe yet, we'll come to you. We'll go to your school. We'll go wherever you need us to go and we'll show up when you ask us to. And if we're not consistent, then we failed because they did build that wall very, very strong and people have let them down so many times. And every time that they did trust a human, they were let down. And so we know that. We know that that's the place that they're coming from. And I do not expect them on their first visit to tell me their full life story because that's unfair. That's your truth. That's what you, you can hold on to that. If you just needed me to come to tell me what you needed, then I'm here to listen. And I don't have, our team doesn't have any expectation. That's what you need to come with to be successful. I know for a fact that the Phoenix opened up their doors to the young people because they were hanging out out front and they didn't have anywhere safe to hang out. So they opened up their doors. And the reason that we opened up the dream center or what guided that, that mission and that dream was that there was young people that we were meeting out on the street that said, I don't want to be out here anymore. And instead of giving them a sleeping bag and a tent, where can we put them? That's unfair. This young person is saying, I don't want to be here. So that's not okay. And the young people that were hanging out, they would tell us the Phoenix, when they first opened, just like SAY, we didn't have websites. This was all word of mouth. So if we weren't good to the young people, the young people talk. (laughs) And so that's why you always had young people. I know from the very start that I started working with this organization, we would come here if we needed to find young people that were out on the streets. We didn't have to go far. And 
that's what happens is because we built that consistency. We didn't turn away. We know that young people come with anger issues and they come with trauma and we meet them where they're at. So to be successful, you need to understand that. And you need to come from a place of compassion and understanding that there's going to be ups and downs with this young person and they're going to fail. But you know what? If we're winning, if they come back, yeah. mm-hmm. that's all that matters, yes. you know, and we better be ready for them to come back and open yes. up our doors again because they're testing us, yeah. you know? So that's how you work successfully with young people, <laughs> I think. I agree. It reminds me of Tom. I mean, he says his one job is to open the doors in the yep. morning here yes. at the Phoenix. <laughs> That's the one job. Get the doors open. It's got to be available. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, when, when you start to not have your organization be available on the one day someone needs it or if someone needs to be down here, that's when you have started to not do your job. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I think just telling a young person, I'm going to stand here and believe in you and be there for you. <laughs> yeah. And some, you know, tomorrow you may be ready for it. Tomorrow you may not be. You might be ready today. Decide tomorrow to leave. I'm going to keep standing here. And essentially it's, it's this whole team of, you know, it's where 120 people who just keep standing here, like and saying, I'm here for you. Okay. Yeah. There's some rules to follow. Okay. You, you broke it. Got it. Okay. But you're allowed to come back. You know, (laughs) you know, we're, it's, it's really about standing in that same place. And, and, you know, I said consistency. I also believe that it's love. You know, I think coming from a place of deep compassion for the human experience that, being human's hard. Like it's it's hard from your first temper tantrum, you know, till you know the day you're you're 85 and, and saying goodbye. You know, it it's hard. You know, at different moments for every human in between. And ultimately, if what we're all aiming for is the best, happiest, most um, caring, love-filled life that we can achieve, then you know, if you believe that all humans ultimately want that, then how can we support each other in getting there? And um, you know, I, I think ultimately our job, you know, this organization's job is to be the, the beacon, to shine the light, to bring the resources together, and then to invest it as wisely um, and, and strategically and, and with as much care as we can um, to as many young people as we can. And yeah. I would add that I, I think one of the things that SAY does phenomenally is we arm and educate all of our staff members on how to best support young people that are connected with us. So speaking as a staff member that doesn't work in direct service, right? I I sit in the admin wing. I I have a door door on my office and uh, I, the majority of my time is spent interacting with other staff members and donors in the community. However, I know that 30 feet to my right are some big double doors that lead to our housing wing. And so from the moment that I started working at SAY, I was trained and I was educated as to how to best support the young people that we're serving. And for someone in a position like mine, that can be as simple as when I walk in the front doors every day and there's a young person in our lobby, I say hi. I look them in the eyes. I ask how they're doing. Sometimes I don't get a response. Other times I get a, hey, I'm cool, how about you? And It's just that ability to recognize and to validate someone's existence by a simple hello. I don't think that unless you've been invisible to society, I don't think we truly understand how powerful recognition can be. And so I take that to all aspects of my life. And I think that it's just so empowering the way that we teach our staff to support the youth that we serve no matter if you're sitting at the front desk, no matter if you're the CEO leading the organization, or if you're a frontline staff member delivering direct service, all of us have the same tools. I wanted to go over a few statistics that I learned from your organization in the lead up to this. Um, Tell us about the concept of disconnected youth. Mm. This was a term I had not heard before. Yeah, it's it's actually unfortunate um, how few people understand what that term means, because I think if we understood it better, uh, the whole nation would invest a heck of a lot more uh, resource in supporting that age group. So it turns out there are um, oodles and oodles, lots and lots of statistics out there um, on how critically important it is. It turns out in brain development, we're not fully cooked 
essentially until we're about 25 years old. Our brains are not fully done developing. And there's this key age range from about 16 to 24. And during that time, if you are not connected to a job, it can be a job of any kind. It could be at McDonald's. It could be anywhere. It could be a street sweeper. It could be, you know, an administrative assistant. It could be any kind of job you can find. But if you're not connected to a job or in some sort of education or growth mode in your life, going to a college, a university, a vocational training program of some kind, your brain actually gets stunted permanently in its development. So that disconnection from work or learning during that period of your life has permanent and lifelong impacts on your trajectory for your health. So it decreases all of your future health outcomes statistically and predictably. It decreases your future earning potential in the same way statistically predictably decreases your earning potential. It changes your social functioning and capacity because it turns out all of those, maybe, you know, the interactions you're going to have as a cashier at a store, those matter more then than they would if you had had the exact same job at 30 or at 12. So that age range, um, and this is coming out now of longitudinal studies nationwide, Um, That age range is the most critical one for us to support. And unfortunately, it's uh, it's one of the least, you know, least sexy ages, you know, grumpy teenagers. And then once they turn 18 and we have all these expect, well, you're an adult now, you're supposed to have it all figured out. So it's one of those age ranges that's sort of the the least appealing, you know, it's not the cute little elementary school kids. It's not the senior citizens. It's not, you know, it's not one that's easy to shine the light on but boy does it matter and it would it would fundamentally change you know the the trajectory of communities and ultimately the country if we could make sure that that disconnection rate was brought down to basically zero in every community um, the statistics I read are 12 percent of youth uh, are neither working or in school which means about 4.6 million people and in Sonoma County that's 10.7 percent of the 16 to 24 year olds that's a large number. That's a huge number of lives that will that will never be the same unless we figure out a way to get the resources to them that they need to get connected to work, to get connected to whatever their career path or education might be. It could be as simple as completing their GED, just getting that touch point, getting their brain going again, getting them seeing a future for themselves. It changes every little decision they're making about their health, about whether they're going to exercise, whether they're going to eat right, whether they're going to form healthy relationships. Each of those little things builds their self-confidence and their capacity um, to sort of fully form themselves as the human that's going to walk into a successful future versus one that is really going to struggle over the course of time. Homeless youth in our community, um, I think you touched on this earlier, but you said 515, 500-ish uh, on average in our own community in Sonoma County. Yeah. I'm going to actually let Lisa talk about this, but I'm going to set her up by being very proud of her and the work that her team does. So Social Advocates for Youth, um, nearly a decade ago, decided that we needed to do a homeless count, not just of the generic homeless count that every community across the country does, but we wanted to count young people alone on our streets. And that was pioneering at the time. We were one of the first communities in the nation to say this matters. These young people need a voice that's distinct from the chronically homeless 55-year-old or something, you know. And, and so Lisa said, we're going to do this. And she's a very determined human being. And she... You can tell, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, 2009, and she, and she and the team that went out on the streets one afternoon in a January, cold January day, they counted 268 kids you know, on one afternoon. And, you know, how that, many of our towns did you hit at the, on that first day? Uh, countywide. Yeah. Countywide. Yeah. yeah. So I'll let, I'll let her take it from, from here to talk about homeless youth and what we've learned about them over the last decade of counting them as a specific targeted group. Did you have a, a specific question or do you want well, me to just uh, because, talk about them? Anything that you have to share, because this is something that I think people don't think about, number one. And I think number two, uh, there are major consequences that happen um, to these people. I mean, uh, sex trafficking is something this organization battles, and there's a direct correlation there. Within 23 hours of a young person entering the streets, statistically, they are approached to by a trafficker. 23 hours. 
And that is between the ages of 14 and 21. And that's a mind-blowing statistic. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't even feel like that's possible, it's, you know? Yeah. And, and, and just to uh, make it a little more closer to home, that is in Petaluma? That is in Petaluma. That is in Katati? That is in Katati. Santa Rosa? That is in Santa Rosa. Geyserville? That is in Geyserville. Sonoma? I think that one of the things that we don't think about, like we, we just don't, we do not realize how many of us have fasted before, right? Like you, you like try not eating for, go for 24 hours and, and, and then not know where you're going to sleep that night and then add in being cold and then add in fear and the vulnerability, the incredible vulnerability, you could take the strongest, biggest dude out there and as soon as he's hungry and cold, unsheltered and has no idea what he's going to do next, we have instincts to try to survive and the predators out there in the world know that. And so the vulnerability of a young person on the streets to somebody who does not have good motives and is interested in in using that young person's vulnerability for their financial gain, um, it, the predators are everywhere and it doesn't take, and as Lisa said, it's 24 hours. Statistically, they, w- they will be approached. And I think that number is even higher. I, human trafficking is just like homelessness. Nobody wants to believe that it's real. Nobody wants to believe that it happens. Nobody wants to see it. Because if we acknowledge it, then it's real, right? But now trafficking is done in the dark web. So it's even more dangerous. And our team needs to understand what are those kind of outlets that pe- that predators are using. So we're a part of the Sonoma County Human Trafficking Task Force. We have partnerships with Verity. We have partnerships with local law enforcement. We've attended sting operations. We've helped out with, you know, um, young people that that might be at risk of trafficking or that have been trafficked that are inside of Valley of the Moon or Juvenile Hall. And we want to support them and let them know they don't have to do that. Because I've worked with a lot of human trafficking victims that are young girls. And when you said, does it happen in Petaluma and does it happen in Rona Park and does it happen in Katati? The hardest case I ever worked came out of Katati. And this young lady was 13 years old and she had two traffickers that trafficked her and she thought she was going to a party because she met them on the web. These are my friends. I met them on Facebook. They're going to pick me up. She woke up and she's in Vallejo and she doesn't know how to get out. And within six months, she was horrifically trafficked. And she came to our doorstep because Katati Police Department didn't know where else to take her. And we had to quickly learn, okay, we're going to be here for her. And that was four or five years ago. And that, that changed the path of how we support young people that are trafficked because traffic victims come in into our doors where we need to rush them to the ER. We need to take them to call, contact our law enforcement. We need to open up our doors and open up our staff. I remember calling, you know, Katrina at the time and saying, I have to double staff this all night long because this young lady will not sleep with the door closed. She will not sleep with the lights off. We, she won't sleep unless it's daytime because she's scared somebody's going to come in her door. And it's not just the she's, it's the he's. We've had young men utilize our traffic beds that we have a set-aside bed. We have two set-aside beds at our emergency shelter for human trafficking victims. And these young men have been offered survival sex. And in all honesty, it's not. It's trafficking. You can stay here. I think that's an important thing for this exchange. I think that people hear the term human trafficking and um, not everybody fully understands what that means. You know, the way you just put it, survival sex. I yeah. Mean, they, they, well, that's not human trafficking. Well, no, of course it is. It is. Yeah. If you are told you can stay here, I'll feed you, I'll take care of you, and all you have to do is let me sleep with you. That's it. Whenever I want it and however I want it. In their world, sleeping underneath the bridge where they feel like they might be abused or sexually assaulted it's still better than that so I'm going to stay in this warm house and at least have a meal and a shower and if he rapes me it's okay that is human trafficking we are 
using somebody's human body for our own purpose, for our own gain. And I don't want them to have to make that choice. And that's, that's the hard part is that they feel like I have no other choice. I have to do this. Nobody's ever told them you don't have to anymore. You know, we have had plenty of staff sit with them in ERs, plenty of staff sit with them on the stand because we want to go after them too, you know? And so SAY never said, oh, we're going to do human trafficking. We're going to do this. The young people came to us with these horrific stories. So guess what? We're going to meet them where they're at. We're going to make sure that we can support them. And we're going to try to make changes in our legislative. We're going to try to make changes in our shelter. We're going to try to make changes in our, our jobs, in our community. And we have to stand up and say, we're not going to do this anymore. Yeah. And I would imagine uh, one of your goals with this organization is that no person who, you know, is in this age group who lives in this county would ever think I have no other choice. I have to do this. I have no other choice. I mean, that there is a say or an Mm S-A-Y is that you do have another choice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's our job to be that choice. Um, when we take people on tours, um, of, of the SAY Dream Center and, and we, we highlight these you know, two dedicated sex trafficking beds that we have in, in private rooms because they are not ready to be in any sort of communal or shared housing space. Um, community members are appalled. They're horrified. What? This is happening here in Sonoma County? How could this possibly be happening here in Sonoma County? That's, that can't be real. Yeah, it is. Well, what do you attribute it to? Well, there's a number of different things, but I think it's worth talking about what those things are. So, um, many of us around the time that we were hosting the Super Bowl here in San Francisco um, may have read some of the articles that came out. So sex tourism and sex trade, um, sex trafficking victims just skyrocket during any major sporting event, you know, and, and the Super Bowl is known for it and actually helps support some anti-human trafficking, anti-sex trafficking causes because they know that that's one of the correlates to that, that type of sporting event. But on an ongoing basis here in Sonoma County, tourism of any kind in any place in the world, tourism um, attracts the industry of sex trafficking. And we are a tourism-based economy. And um, there's a couple other you know, primary leaders and casinos um, are a place that attract this, the sex trafficking business. Unfortunately, gangs have figured out that it's very lucrative to sell a human compared to selling drugs or selling some of the other things that fueled the, 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 the gang's economy. And you can sell a human multiple times a night. And what ends up happening is, you know, there's a gang member, um, maybe it's, you know, the 17, 18-year-old brother, and, you know, this, the, the 13-year-old, 14-year-old younger sister of the other guy, you know, is like, oh, yeah, let me invite the young lady to a party. And then she's gone. You know, she shows up at the party. This cool older guy invited her. She thought it was going to be great. She thought, oh, that they can take care of me. They have a cool car. They have, you know, all this, all this great stuff and resources I don't have access to. And they think I'm pretty. And it's that easy. Like the vulnerability, it's that fast. You know, she can literally, Lisa referenced a story like this. She can literally wake up the next morning and be sold over and over and over again. Every night, no breaks for months at a time. And, and then show up at our door and, and say, help, I need, I need help. Just to put some statistics behind that as well, one of, another one of the first questions we ask young people when they first engage with SAY is, can you identify someone in your life that you can call, that cares about you, you want to let someone know where you are? More than 90% say no. On the flip side of that, we know that more than 90% of the young people in an SAY housing program were born in Sonoma County. So these are, these are our young people. They are our community's young people. And without a resource like SAY, many of the youth that we serve don't have the options to say where they were born and raised. And so in order to cut that cycle off of an entire generation of young people leaving the town that they were born and raised in, we have to have these supportive systems in place to give them economic mobility, to give them mental health care, to give them affordable housing. And without that, we really do run the risk of losing a generation 
of Sonoma County natives. What is uh, the most frustrating about doing this work in terms of roadblocks and broken systems and things that can get in the way of doing the work you're trying to do? <laughs> it's only an hour and a half show. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. That, that, we do not have enough time to answer that question. <laughs> For me, I feel like it's the high expectations that society puts on how do we value success, Right. In, in all the programs that I oversee in Youth Crisis Services, success for me is when a young person keeps coming back, right? And success in society is somebody that's high-functioning that has it all together, and that's just not how we do it. Anything beyond them coming back week after week is a blessing, right? Right. Them coming back week after week, that, that's that how you know you're doing something right. Exactly. Yeah. But then there's other frustrations that we have that the the mental health services that that just that system of care is very hard to navigate. And there's a lot of young people and young people that are experiencing homelessness and anybody who's experiencing homelessness, we talk how quickly they can become, you know, solicited for human trafficking. They also fall under mental health crisis because being out on the street in less than 20 days, your, your, your mental health is at risk. Right. And so navigating that system and making sure that our staff knows how to navigate that system and advocate for them versus support. And and thank God we have, you know, um, a counseling clinic on site and stuff that we can we can try to access. And it's just those those systems of care can be be frustrating at time because we know that they need the help and we know that they qualify for certain stuff. But then you have to prove it and you have to advocate for it. And it can take months. Yeah, even you guys who, who have this experience sometimes have a hard time navigating the system. Yes. I mean, imagine being someone who's never had to navigate it, yes. who needs the help. Exactly. I have a very long answer, and I have great big philosophical ones and, and little <laughs> tiny ones. I, I, I think in general, as a, as a nation, California does better as a state. Sonoma County does great as a county, and we are still very um, poor at long-range planning for what makes happy healthy humans living in happy, healthy communities. I just don't feel like we do that very well or very thoughtfully. You know, that, that, uh, there was a question I, that keeps coming back to me. How long are you prepared to hold uh, a youth uh, in, in the program? How long can you hold a youth in the program? Yeah, the answer varies depending on the young person's needs and the funding stream. You know, so if you ask the most frustrating thing, it's that there's not enough resources compared to the need. I would want what I would like to do is I would want to be there for the young person as long as they need us. That would be my answer. And we do our best to accomplish that and to be there as long as they need us. And some kids need us for three months and they say, goodbye, thank you, I'm good. And we, che- we check on them again in a month. They say, I'm still good. We say, great, come back and tell us your success stories. And some kids are with us three years, four years, five years. And, uh, and each of those is a success story in in, in, in and of itself, the one that we're there for five years and they've succeeded and failed and succeeded and failed, what we've done is replicate what any caring family environment would have provided to them, which is the bumpers. Uh, you know, to have the room, to be human, to try something, to fall down, to get back up, not have to be embarrassed to like say, oh, I really messed up. Say, it's okay. So what are we going to do next? And, and, and I just, I think, taking it back up to the macro level. I think investing wisely in young people, ultimately um, it will produce outcomes for a nation that we are, we are not doing. And that starts from birth until, you know, until the young people are launched at 25 into their futures. People also, I think, want to be able to just hit the checkbox of being done, yeah. fixed. All right, fixed. you're on your way. Here you know? you go. And that's that's a national uh, statistic. Oh. Yes. Um, how many kids actually end up are lucky enough when they fail, maybe in their in their uh, second or third attempt, that mm-hmm. they get to go home and and, uh, mm-hmm. and have a place to land for a while? Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys are dealing with the ones that don't get to go home. And uh, I think it's uh, it, it's got to be frustrating to you because you do need to be able to bring them back in again. Yeah. yeah. The resources that it takes to make up for, you know, ultimately what we're doing is we're playing catch up. You know, so if you if we had been investing in those young people all along, 
then you're not going to have to make a $15,000 a year investment to get a kid stabilized and supported appropriately. But we're given this very narrow window where we have this vulnerable, traumatized young person, 16, 14 to 24, somewhere in that age range, that shows up at our door, and we have a limited like time and scope duration to deliver as much as we can. And so that's an expensive intervention. Yeah. Ultimately, we would love to have fewer of those showing up at our door because that same 15,000 invested appropriately in services over time to that point might have prevented them from even needing it in the first place. And that's where the, the lack of thoughtful investment in, in, in the humans that will make up our future workforce, they will make up our future um, communities. They are the ones who will be, you know, leading our businesses in the future. And we just, it, we fail them cons- so consistently. And we know that the demand has only increased since the fires and will continue to increase. It is enormously more expensive to live here now and to sustain housing here now. The needs for mental health support and mental health care have drastically increased. Our school-based mental health team is in almost 30 schools throughout Sonoma County on campus serving young people. And we know directly from them that the need for mental health support has drastically increased because you have young people who lost their home, some lost their home and their school. And almost every student in Sonoma County knows someone or has a friend that no longer lives here. And so you just think about that collective trauma But if you particularly think about the collective trauma on young people in our community, we know that our services will only continue to be in demand, unfortunately, and we need the funding to appropriately support that. So as we kind of get close to winding down, um, you mentioned uh, on the macro level, you have a lot of frustrations. Um, Do you feel like in the last 5, 10, 15 years, we as a society, as a country, are moving towards a better place on this? And do you feel like as a county, we're moving to a better place or further away from a better place? Because we don't have enough time for the therapy session that would be required for me to talk about um, national trends um, and practices in human service programming, um, I'm actually going to take a moment to talk about Sonoma County. So let's say on the first question, short mm-hmm. answer, no. Across, if you look at funding levels across the major, um, you know, federal programs, Department of Labor, Department of Health and Human Services, Housing and Urban Development, that ultimately through direct or block grant money, you know, trickles down to the most vulnerable, the most in need across America. Um, there have been some wins and some losses. Um, ultimately, it's all too slow and it's not enough. And it um, is very unusual that it's actually responsive to what humans need, Um, which leads me to um, being very proud of the work that happens here in Sonoma County. I, um, in my career, I started my career in in Baltimore, Washington, D.C. I've worked in Phoenix, Arizona, and then came here to Sonoma County. And this is an extraordinary place with some of the most thoughtful leaders and most engaged community members from a philanthropic perspective and um, a grassroots perspective of caring deeply about our community. We have a number of initiatives here in Sonoma County that are intended from, you know, literally birth to death. Um, to do the very best we can to support the health and and social um, and economic needs of the people who need us the most, and I, I would I would say that across Sonoma County's leadership, um, the majority of our elected officials, I just I, it's a it's a really great place to do this kind of work. Um, we are more thoughtful than others. Our law enforcement agencies are extraordinary in their capacity to do community policing, like true community police work. Um, our, our health systems are strong. We're just I, so I, I, I can be pessimistic about some other national trends, and just be grateful that that for the that for the organizations that serve the people here, um, it's just about as good as it gets. <laughs> Good job. I know. It's like so that that brings up the uh, the other elephant in the room. How is the funding going, and how do you keep yourselves funded? 
So as an organization, we made a commitment a number of years ago that being reliant on government funding solely uh, was not going to produce the most stable (laughs) organization. And as we've said, being there consistently, available for young people, as many hours a day with as many supports as we can is our goal. And so uh, we set about um, a process to diversify our funding stream. You know, this would be like any other, you know, any other business would kind of look at not having all their eggs in one basket. And we moved from, you know, nearly 98% government funded, and we're now about 60% government funds. And the other um, 40% of our funding, we have about a you know six and a half million dollar budget. The other um, 40% is coming from private individual donors, from corporate philanthropy, from foundation philanthropy. Um, it's really coming out of you know generosity and people who are committed to helping to fill that gap from what the government funds to what the young people actually need, and and being that bridge and. Um, you know, the, our, our team, you know, in a nonprofit environment, you essentially, you do two things. You have, you know, the revenue generators that are out there building those relationships, talking, telling the story. That's what Shelby and the team do. You know, they tell the story of these kids and what they need and find people who want to connect to it, who care about that kid's need or that group of young people's needs and say, I'm going to invest in making that better. So they go out and do that. And then folks like Lisa and her team are doing their best every day to spend, we spend it, yeah. to spend it, yeah. right? Their job is to spend it as wisely and thoughtfully and appropriately and match it to the young person's needs as best they can. And so as a, you know, we're as a nonprofit business, you know, our, our business model is really tell the story, find the people who care, um, and, and then hire the best people you can to, to work with those young people every day to, to fulfill your mission. Um, ultimately, uh, we, we've had some ups and downs in, in funding. That's inevitable. And nonprofits live that roller coaster ride all the time. And we're doing as much as we can to get to secure multi-year gifts, you know, so that so that we're not just every year asking again and again and not knowing if the dollars are going to come um, to work on government contracts. We advocate for government funding to not just be one year, but to be two years or three years or four years um, renewable. And, you know, and, and, and that makes a big difference. It creates a sense of stability. Um, that, that nonprofits often don't have. Um, and, 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 you know, we're really dedicated to being there consistently uh, because it matters so much. And that takes a lot of creativity in this world. Which I think is a wonderful lead into an annual fundraising event that you have coming up <laughs> this December. And it is called One Cold Night. So please share with us the concept behind that and anything that you want to get out there. Because this is actually a really fascinating thing that I did not know about prior to booking this. So let's, let's talk about that. Absolutely. Um, so one, Take it away, Shelby. <laughs> thank you. Uh, while we're on the subject of money. Um, so every fall, uh, this will be... Uh, our third iteration of One Cold Night. Um, We got about halfway through the campaign last year before the fires hit and had to make the decision to cancel the event. Um, So this will be our second full year of seeing it to completion. Essentially, what One Cold Night does is it arms an entire group of supporters to go out and open up their address books, look on their Facebook friends list, call their friends and families, and ask them to support SAY. So we collectively call these groups of people sleepers. And what they commit to is this year, countywide community members across Sonoma County will spend about eight weeks fundraising for a minimum of $2,500 to support SAY and our services and the youth we support. And then they commit to spending one night outside in solidarity with the young people that are experiencing homelessness in our community right now. And the most impactful aspect of this event is the ability to generate awareness and support through so many different networks. We touch hundreds, if not thousands, of community members with this event that we would have never been able to without the support of our participants, our sleepers. So this year we will um, have well over 50 community members sleeping outside um, in December, and they do so from the bottom of their hearts, just caring about the youth that we serve. And they put themselves on the front line and they say, I'm willing to be vulnerable for a single night in support of young people that are vulnerable every single night. 
So we're really excited for this year to take it across Sonoma County to all areas of Sonoma County to highlight that young people across the county, across city lines have needs. And we go to them. We go across city lines. We go across the county to support them. And so we have sites in West County, North County, Sonoma Valley, Petaluma, Rona Park. Um, and we're, we're really excited to see the fruits um, of our sleepers labors, of our supporters labors come to bear. And this year is 2018. What is the date of the event this year? It is on December 7th. Um, and there's a myriad of ways that community members can get involved with this event. Um, primarily, you can attend One Cold Gathering, which is a kickoff event for the evening that we do every night in which we host a candlelight vigil. We share with the community about our services, about the state of youth in Sonoma County. Uh, we ask that all community members bring a gift card with them for uh, a price of admission, if you will. Um, gift cards to where we go the most to support young people, Big Five, Safeway, Target, Costco, any place that we can go and get supplies for young people that need it um, at a moment's notice. Um, so that's one way, attend one cold gathering that takes place at the Dream Center. Another way is donate. You can easily go to onecoldnight.org and see the entire list of participants. Pick someone you want to support individually. You might go on the list and see, hey, that's my neighbor, or that's my employer, or that's my friend, or that's my, um, my friend's friend. And you can choose to support them as an individual, or you can make a general campaign donation as well. Do we have any closing thoughts from anybody at the table here tonight about SAY? Hmm. I'm going to say one thing about One Cold Night and then one thing about SAY. So I think the beauty of One Cold Night, we talked about young people being invisible. And I think the strategy of One Cold Night is whether it's going to turn out a $10 donation from somebody that's a Facebook friend of a Facebook friend, um, or whether it's going to be a $1,000 donation or 100 or 50 I mean, whatever the amount is, that's one more person who no longer um, can ignore the stories of the youth and it's one more let's not call it a spotlight it's a little flashlight like like that kind of just opens the door like one more young person's life can get highlighted in one more person's mind and I think that is the beauty of this type of um, of event it's going to raise some money for a really good cause SAY needs the support and it's valuable but it also puts this information in the hands of people who didn't know it before. And the more people who know, the more difference that we can make. Um, ultimately, SAY has been in the community for nearly 50 years. We have, unfortunately, another 50 years of work to do. And um, we really appreciate the support of the, the generous community that we live in. And I want to you know, personally um, express my gratitude to the staff that do, um, that do the direct service work, that bring in the money um, every day because it, it's the greatest investment of, of kind of your day-to-day your -day life energy that you can make is in making the world better. And, and I'm very grateful for those who do that. She did a good job. I, that was good. I, I think that the only thing that I would add, um, just to kind of say something about One Cold Night, is that it is, it's just a good opportunity to really see it for what it is, you know? I think that when we're talking about homelessness, there's there's no, you know, there was a lot of people when it first came out that said, you know, what are you guys doing? Are you guys like highlighting homelessness? Are you mocking homelessness? What are you doing? And in all honesty, I've been working out and I've been doing this work for many, many years. It was a way to finally give it a voice. It was finally a, a way to give it a picture and to give it the feel. I can only make people feel so, so much with just the words that we're saying, but when you're outside and you're actually cold and you're actually vulnerable and you actually do not know what's gonna happen next, then there's actually a voice to it. It's that whole feeling of everything. And it, it supports so much work that we're doing. And it, it's huge for the young people that, that my team is directly supporting. And so I'm just, for anybody that does come out, that does show support, I just wanna say thank you. You know, it means a lot to the young people in our community.
Um, I'll I'll just add a, a personal note onto here in that I myself was born and raised in Sonoma County in Santa Rosa, and I had no idea that SAY existed before I started working here a couple of years ago. And I I can't even express how many times growing up coming from a safe, stable, caring, loving home that I still look back on my life and can point to several instances in which I could have utilized SAY or my sibling could have or my friend could have. And so I, I view it as a great privilege to be able to work in this capacity now and in some small way contribute to uh, what this agency does for our community. And just to echo both Katrina and Lisa, we are so grateful for every single person that supports our work, whether it be, uh, I, we have a reoccurring uh, donor that gives $5 every single month, same day of the month. I, I, always look forward to that email coming through my inbox that says uh, that he's made another $5 donation. And you just don't even realize how impactful that can be. I just, I know that if I'm, I'm having a bad day, I have that, that email to look forward to. And um, it just, uh, I, I would like to end on, it often feels like in our world that it's very hard for an individual to make a difference and that it's very hard for an individual to affect positive change. And if you are out listening to this and you want to do that, please give us a call. Please look us up because I promise you, even picking up that phone will make a difference in our community. Tom Gaffey, do you have any closing thoughts? Say why. Uh, if you want to help, uh, they're easy to find. If you need the help, they're easy to find too. And, and uh, there's some bravery needed sometimes to actually reach out and, and find that help. But if you're going to be cold tonight, are you going to be cold tomorrow? Uh, S-A-Y, uh, crisis line, and they will find you. They will come where you are, and they will, they will uh, help get you off the street right now. So call them. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Really, I, I want to say thank you to both of you for your, your kind hearts and your compassion um, for letting us put some spotlight on these young people's stories, and, and uh, we're very grateful. Well, but also the community should be thanking you guys quite a bit, too. It's uh, These things must be done in every community, and, and you guys are doing it. So thank you a lot for that. Yeah, I mean, thank you for joining us and for highlighting yeah. the work that you do. I mean, the you know Social Ethics for Youth is an important resource that Sonoma County is blessed to have, and it's been a pleasure to discuss it with you all here tonight. Yeah. Thank, thank you thank so you. much. <laughs>